What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by our Hoops Hype salary cap expert and my main man, Yossi Goslin, to break down the latest CBA updates and how it'll impact the league going forward. Obviously, been a lot of talk out there about the new collective bargaining agreement. Nobody better to bring on to discuss it than Yossi, who recently wrote a little bit about it on April 3rd, and he's got some new intel to share with us now. Yossi, appreciate you joining me in studio, brother. How excited are you for this new CBA? I'm excited in the sense that it gives me a lot more to uh, to learn and, and change. It kind of reinvigorates me in a way. And, you know, after seven years covering the old one, things some things get a little stale. So a little, little bit of a challenge to to spark me up again from a team building perspective. I don't know. Can't say that if I was uh, running a team that I'd like most of these changes, but as far as me being a cap expert following this, yeah, I like changes. I think certainly for some of these teams, the second tax apron is going to be a a bit of an issue, certainly. And I know that you've got uh, your own opinions on it, I'm sure. And, and some, new information on it. But what can you tell us about the second tax apron coming up now in this new CBA? So I've already written pretty extensively on it. Uh, last week, I had an article come out on some of the new uh, changes for the CBA. And the second apron, that's really a huge change. That's really, it's going to change a lot of the way teams go about building their teams, building their rosters. There's going to be, the teams are going to have to plan ahead more. And they're not going to be able to do a lot of the things that they did to try to speed up the process going forward. You have to be more careful. I think Um, you got a, you've got a lot of team now, you know, there's a lot of teams that are getting pretty close to the tax apron. Like they could get there pretty soon that are small market teams and they probably won't actually want to spend that much, especially since the luxury tax levels are supposed to increase at the higher levels. But Still, like if you're a team that's, you know, you have a lot of, you have some top players, you've got a deep core, eventually you're going to have to pay everyone. And if you're going to try to have a title window, things are going to get expensive. But also, even once you're willing to commit to spend, it's going to be harder to extend your window when you're going to be limited in the ways you can add depth. Uh, if you're over the second apron, you can't, you don't have a mid-level exception. You really can only increase payroll by uh, resigning your own players, signing draft picks, and um, minimum players. So automatically, that's going to really increase the value of first-round picks. So I think if you're a team like OKC, Utah, San Antonio, you've been hoarding all these picks, and a lot of criticism, a lot of, they probably got a lot of criticism, like, what are you going to do with all these picks? Like, well... You know, I, I, yeah, you can't draft all these players, but now, like, they really, like, once they're ready to compete, like, okay, see, they're they're about to make the next step. They're always going to have a chance to to de- to replenish their depth. They're never going to be. Uh, I don't think they're ever going to be in a, have an issue trying to surround Shea Gilgis Alexander and Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy and all their and everyone else with more talent because they've got extra first round picks to either make selections with or to uh, trade in 
uh, trade them for veterans that they need. So they're always so teams like that. They're well equipped for the new CBA. Uh, then you've got some teams like the Suns, for example, the Sixers. Uh, they made some big trades. They're they signed some of their best players to super expensive contracts. They you know they're going to be limited now. Uh, a team like the Suns this summer. I think you're going to have to try to re-sign everyone as much as you can because you're basically going to be over the second apron and you're not going to have any mid-level most likely. And you got to just use everything you got. You're limited in picks going forward now. Like this is, this is it most likely for a team like the Suns. So just a, you know, very interesting um, way. Like they're obviously in my opinion, I think it's definitely more targeted towards the teams like the Clippers and Nets have spent outrageous amounts of money uh, but this is going to affect other teams too. Uh, and you're just going to have to plan ahead more. Like you want to have your depth ready before you're ready to re-sign or extend your top players to contracts that might take you over that second apron. So just, uh, it's going to be very interesting because in a way to me, it, it is kind of, it does feel to me like an actual hard cap. Yeah. The, with very limited ways that you can go, uh, over, uh, increase payroll once you're over it. But like in a way, it does feel like a de facto hard cap, and uh, it's going to be a line that I, very few teams are going to cross, if if uh, barely. Um, so yeah, the second apron that's being implemented, and uh, one of the things that I think like got a pretty strong reaction was the fact that teams now cannot, they will not be able to take in more money than they're given out in a trade if they're over the second apron. Uh, so, so that's something though, that I heard is supposed to be eased in. Uh, like for example, maybe they're not going to, they're not going to something that they might not do is immediately do dollar for dollar next season, but maybe for teams that are over the second apron, uh, the amount of money they could take back uh, could be somewhere between that $0 and 125%. Right now, the, under the current CBA teams over, the tax can take back up to 125% of their outgoing salaries. So there might be some, so there's probably going to be some easing in into that before they go uh, $0 or dollar for dollar, however you want to frame it. And to me, I think this is pretty notable because of what I was talking about, about how teams are going to have to plan ahead uh, if they're planning on ever spending whatever, however much money they want to and become a second apron team. Uh, and this, I think, could really dictate how certain teams operate this offseason if this might be their last chance to do an, a type of uneven trade. Uh, so, for example, you had the Kevin Durant trade to the Suns, uh, James Harden trade to the Nets. Those are recent examples of trades that might not have, probably wouldn't have been that they wouldn't have been legal under the um, if the new uh, if the second apron had already been implemented because those teams, when they did those trades, they took full advantage of the 125% amount rule and they basically send out the minimum salary requirements. They took on a lot more salary, uh, taking on these players, really shot up their luxury tax bill and helped them keep as much existing talent as possible. So with the trade rules getting eased in, this could be for some teams their last season to make some type of uneven trade uh, before they do become a second apron team or or in future seasons so i think 
you know, when you bring up some of these things, a couple of things stick out to me, brother. Number one, um, that the second apron is supposed to be implemented next season, I think is certainly important. And then with the easing in of some of these trade rules, it, it sounds to me like then if, if that's the case, then you could have an active trade deadline for next season as teams try to fit this stuff in uh, before the new rules kind of apply. And, and I think also some other things that just stuck out to me from talking to people around the league about it, um, and particularly with some agents, some agents said that uh, they think that the second tax apron and the mid-level exception clause was about small market teams getting their voices heard. And what it could cause the new second tax apron is that with those teams losing out on the mid-level exception, uh, you know, more teams are going to be looking for gems or sleepers. Um, and it could hurt the middle class when it comes to players a little bit. For me personally, Yossi, I don't see smaller market teams spending more um, because of this. I think they're kind of going to be relatively where they've been in terms of spending. I just think for them, maybe it tries to level the playing field. I think another thing that could maybe level the playing field a little bit in the eyes of smaller market teams is the extensions, uh, which could be going up from 120 to 140%. I'm sure you got some thoughts on that one as well. Yeah, I do want to uh, just touch on one thing you just mentioned about how, uh, you know, it's this whole, the small market teams trying to even the playing field a little bit. Um, so two things. One, it could backfire on some small market teams. I do think that there are some that are going to have to spend uh, one team that really comes to mind are the Denver Nuggets. They're paying Jokic. They're going to pay him, uh, I believe, 270 over the next five years. He's on a super max. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, they're on max contracts. Uh, Aaron Gordon, Kentavious Caldwell, they're making a good amount of money. Like They're going to be in the tax going forward. They could be a team that easily is over the second apron over the next few years. Uh, like they're going to, uh, when you're, when you have Jokic and you have like a window like that, uh, you got to spend and, you know, obviously they don't have to spend like uh, Clippers or Nets type of, uh, of, of tax level uh, payments, but they, they already are having a hard time keeping uh, as much talent as they can. They already are limited in flexibility. So like they don't really have that many picks to trade. Um, I don't think they could really trade a first round pick. I'm not maybe just one. So they're already pretty limited in the ways they could Im- improve the roster. If you're not if you're not going to have a mid level exception on top of that, uh, you know if things start to not work out later on, you're probably going to have to make a, a trade. Maybe trade one of uh, your starters to uh, replenish some of the depth, and that could hurt you on with the. You're, but then you're losing top uh, end talent. So, you know, no matter what, it's it's not truly I don't think these rules are really going to truly level the playing field because it goes both ways. And in some ways, it's probably could hurt some small market teams that uh, do need to spend or are willing to spend. Uh, and then the other thing I would say that I I think would be positive about the second apron and and just my opinion on how I feel like this might work, but it does seem like the second apron is supposed to help the middle class of players because if you have this de facto apron 
then teams need to be, uh, and depth is now more valuable. And I think this helps uh, make bird rights more valuable and this helps uh, role players that might not be making uh, that, that might not be making that much and could even get squeezed for the minimum. That kind of makes them, I think that gives them more leverage. But then the problem with that is if for a team that is, uh, if you have that second apron kind of, you're getting close to that, you still need to budget within that. And max contracts are still the same. Um, that players are still going to be making max contracts. Uh, so at the same time, if, if players are still making that much money at the top, uh, and now you've got this apron. Is it really going to help the middle class that much? I don't know. We'll see. It's very interesting because I do think that there are some measures that they've imp- added, and we'll get to them in a little bit to help the middle class make more money. But uh, in theory, and in theory, yeah, it kind of makes sense. But we'll have to just see because um, I do think the second apron could potentially kind of kind of go against that. As long as you know, teams still want to pay. Who uh, max players max money, but you know you got players like at the top that are all NBA making max money, but then you've also got players that are you know not even top twenty players they're making max money, and if players like that you know, they continue if they're going to continue to get like no brainer maxes instead of something relative to what the top of the top are actually making, then I think that that something like that could hurt the middle class in conjunction with a second apron now. What do you think about the extension range going up from 120 to 140% then? So, yeah, that's definitely something that should help everyone, including, you know, sub all-star level players that, uh, that didn't sign for max contracts, signed for something, you know, team friendly, and then definitely uh, outplay the value of those contracts. You've got players like, and I wrote about them, uh, OJ Anunoby, Deontay Murray, Laurie Markinen, um, just uh, o- uh, I think I said OJ Anunoby, just players that you know they when they signed their extensions, they there's definitely definitely um, definitely mixed as far as whether that was a good contract for the team or the player. Just definitely a lot of uh, just betting on the player, and they they far exceeded the value of those contracts. So uh, Demontis Sabonis too. And under the current rules, the 125, the 120% uh, first uh, year raise off the previous salary, that kind of became outdated as the salary cap kept going up and up and up and up. So this was just something that was just due one of the, for this uh, upcoming CBA negotiation. Um, I, there was definitely, I know there was discussion over the past year or so uh, you know, just discourse about it, just, you know, what people think maybe there shouldn't be no limits to the extension rules and just let players sign for up to the max and extension. I think that's a step too far. I do think that, uh, because especially because I would just end free agency, well, like, especially like the, the fun aspects of free agency, as we know it, uh, if players can just get their maxes ahead of time. So, I just think it, it. this was important. It, we needed to raise it a little bit just to keep it on par with some of the raises uh, with the, with how high the salary cap is going. And, and now these uh, teams I talked about, uh, you know, the Kings, the Hawks, the Jazz, the Raptors with the specific players I mentioned, they have a better chance at extending these players now. Will it be enough, the 1.4? 
Uh, it might be for some, might not be for others, but uh, we will see. And But it definitely is going to be something that uh, will help more get more players uh, extended, getting more players at a at a extension max that would uh, help get them extended now versus the current rules. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, look, you got a lot of a lot of key players out there. You look at down the line, the Jalen Browns of the world, DeMontis Sabonis, DeJounte Murray, Lowry Markin, and OG Ananobi. Um, certainly interesting in that regard. I think in theory to help, but I also think what would be interesting is if a player doesn't want to do the extension, you really know he doesn't want to be there anymore. It gives even more uh, clarity on that I think from a player's intention so I think that's going to be something to monitor as well um, in theory should help but, but we've also seen in years past where players could have got more money like DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento and didn't get it and got traded uh, so it'll be interesting to see the the long-term effects there um, and, and it, there's bigger stuff to this as well with you know I know we talked about the 120 to the 140 extensions, but then you've also got kind of the super max extensions coming up too. how that's going to change and um, that you can have more than two designated rookie um, extensions. And I, I personally, the first thing I thought of, and I know you'll get into it more was like good news for the Cleveland Cavaliers because you've got Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell on those type of deals. And eventually a lot of people around the league think Evan Mobley is going to be a, a max extension kind of guy as well. So they'd be able to to keep all those guys as well. I don't know. I just think when you look at that rule, I'm sure you feel the same way. It, it, it almost like didn't make sense because why would you penalize a team for drafting well in a sense? That's the way I always looked at it. Yeah, I think I want to say the original, that rule is pretty much targeted at the Warriors. Uh, you know, right after they got Duran and they've been draft, they drafted Curry and Clay and uh, Draymond. Um, I I get the feeling that was kind of reaction to that. If a team can just, you know, to try to limit a team's ability to uh, pay over to pay that many uh, All Star level players, but I don't. It hasn't been an issue, um, even with the Warriors. Like I. It, because I, you know, Curry was the only one who was super max eligible, and Clay barely missed it in 2019. Uh, Draymond, he like got all the he got defensive player of the year in all NBA like way too early in his career, so he he couldn't he didn't qualify later. It just hasn't, yeah, that hasn't been like a, an issue. But I think the main reason also was they didn't want teams to potentially trade for a bunch of those guys. Um, and that also hasn't really been an issue. I don't think that's ever been, it's ever really been close to, oh, like uh, X player on a Supermax. Uh, the team is close to trading him to this team, but uh, they can't, it, it can't work because they already have two Supermax players. Like that hasn't been an issue either. So um, I, I think now that we've had a good, what is it, six, seven years with Supermaxes, uh, we, we see how it's working, how how often teams are giving them out and how uh, often teams are qualifying for it. Uh, I, I think it makes sense to get rid of that rule. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so that's and that's obviously good for the cat. I do imagine that because uh, Garland already has uh, the designation. Mitchell uh, doesn't. Well, uh, Mitchell actually won't be able to qualify. But then Evan Mobley, yeah, he'll be able to get it. So then you look at um, other kind of things out there in the CBA. I think a um, little bit of the cap smoothing, I think, is certainly notable. I mean, look, it seems like the league doesn't want to have a Kevin Durant to the Warriors situation again. And, you know, with the qualifying offer going up as well, uh, it's notable. I, you know, I, I think the first thing that always came to mind with that was, when Kristaps Porzing is threatened to leave New York and sign the the one year qualifying offer and then go into unrestricted free agency and then the Knicks traded him to Dallas, um, just some initial thoughts I had on on those type of uh, additions to the to the new CBA. Kind of looking ahead. Yeah, I I think cap smoothing is fine. Um, I we're already on cap smoothing actually because when the NBA shut down and then came back after COVID. They decided to uh, implement a, a cap of ten percent, which which is going to be the new, which is going to be official now, permanently going forward on rises. And um, I, I, you know, I, and just this past year, we went on a maximum ten percent uh, rise. Last year was one twelve. This year is one twenty three point seven. Uh, that was a full ten percent rise. Uh, clearly, I think everyone is pretty satisfied with that. Now, uh, so, uh, you know, now that we got this trial version going on these past few years, it gave uh, both sides more confidence to to go, with, you know, to go with it. And, you know, as the cap gets bigger, these 10 percent uh, rises also become bigger from a dollar amount. So the caps are still the cap is still going to be going up plenty. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you mentioned the qualifying offers. I'll, I'll be interesting, interested to see just how exactly that's going to work, if whether each qualifying offer shoots up 10% each or if it's like 10% of the rise of the cap. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but that's it is notable because to me, it, it, I, do, I do imagine that there's always some type of discussion between the owners and players about uh, what to do about rookie scale contracts slash restricted free agency. Obviously, the owners would love to make rookie contracts longer, and I think players would eventually love to get rid of restricted free agency altogether. And one thing I've always wondered is, when are we going to see a marquee player accept the qualifying offer uh, and just become an, uh, you know, make one take do one year making a little less than he should, and then become an unrestricted free agent next season, uh, the following season? Uh, still hasn't happened yet, but it feels like we're close because. The qualifying offers have gone up a lot since the um, ever for a couple since a couple of years now since the first draft class to be uh, part of the um, the big uh, salary cap spike. Uh, now their their qualifying offer started to uh, proportionally rise up. I think that was the uh, 2017 class. They were starting. To, they got some very big qualifying offers in the, in 2021 uh, off season. And now we're going to get another boost off of that. So obviously like this, we, we don't know if we're ever going to see a top player accept their, uh, their qualifying offer, like in the way I'm, I'm explaining, but that definitely does should increase the likelihood at least by a little bit. You know, what's interesting too, it might make a team turn around and say, you know what, maybe we won't extend this qualifying offer to a guy that's 
on the bubble a little bit because they are going up. That's also a potential thing to look at down the line. I mean, again, usually you don't see that a ton because the team doesn't want to lose a quote unquote asset for nothing. Uh, And then it would hurt, you know, potential trade value and things like that. We kind of saw that a little bit with Jalen Smith with the Phoenix Suns. Um, So that'll be interesting to see. But that's, you know, Mike, that's already been, that's already happening really. Um, I, I can't think of any example, recent example off the top of my head, but I could look at this upcoming free agency. There's a couple of guys, a handful of guys really that were picked in the lottery and their qualifying offers are like in the seven to 8 million range. Uh, I've, I'm already assuming a, a lot of those guys aren't going to get a qualifying offer. Yeah. And I mean, it's certainly something to keep tabs on among other things. You know, Yossi, I'll say this one other thing that kind of stuck out to me and other executives and whatnot around the league is high school players not being eligible to be drafted. A lot of people thought that that was going to be a thing in this new CBA, but, you know, I I heard some NBA veterans express concern over high school players coming in and and taking their spots. Um, You know, certainly from NBA scouts I talked to, they're fine not going to high school gyms. Um, And one executive I think said it best to me, um, he had texted, I think high school players will be NBA eligible, maybe in the next CBA, you know, way down the line, uh, with the NIL players are somewhat satisfied and the, and the league doesn't feel as much pressure to allow these kids to make money. I think that's a fair argument. I'll, I'll say that. I think I saw like a while ago, the main issue between, uh, the agreement was that a lot of owners were already planning as if, uh, cause then there's, cause if, if they were to, um, uh, once you get rid of the one and done, then you're going to have a double draft. And I guess some teams were just not, you know, they've already been planning, uh, for the first, you know, like, I guess 2024 draft a certain way. And if now you get rid of it and that completely changes it, I think that was kind of part of the, uh, factoring in for like why, it didn't work out for the owners. I don't know. Can do you know much about that? I can't speak. I can't speak as much to that. I had just not from the ownership side. I had just heard, like I said, more about the NBA veterans kind of expressing concern. And obviously, you know, that's something like the union would have to take into account. And just from execs and scouts around the league that, you know, they're not exactly, you know, wasting a box of Kleenex tissues at the thought of going to high school gyms, you know, that wasn't something ideally that they wanted to do. I agreed with the exec that texted me about the NIL stuff to me. It's like those younger guys are able to make money and, and build their brands. I I think like that had to do with it a little bit. Um, and maybe where there was a shift, because I will tell you that a lot of executives were planning on having to go to high school gyms and some of them still believe that it could happen in in a future CBA agreement down the line, some of the younger execs. Um, But I mean, that was just my thought on that. I wanted to touch on, I think another thing that we got to get into um, and Kevin Durant kind of alluded to it, um, how games played in the season are going to affect uh, awards. And I don't know if you saw this recently, but uh, Kevin Durant quote tweeted uh, someone who who put out his stats and he was averaging like 
29 points and, and he was putting out his shooting splits, but it was for at the time, 47 games. And he quote tweeted it and he said, don't count. Didn't play 65 games. And a, a couple of people I sent that to got a kick out of that personally, because he's very obviously self-aware and, and trolling of the award. Um, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into this, but my main thing was I thought I've gotten some different feedback on it. Like one NBA GM told me, well, you know, as far as the rules go and the scheduling, it's like, well, if they made the schedule 60 games, players could find a way to load manage and do it for another 40 games instead. You know, he was of the mindset that that's just there to stay. Um, and I, I just think that ultimately, I think it should matter. I think if you're playing, you know, less than 75% of the games, like where is the cutoff there? I've had other colleagues that are voting, having a tough time on this. And, and they've asked me, because, you know, we're going to do eventually a kind of a poll on hoops hype about where the voting stacks up for people uh, who have votes in the league to kind of project where the awards are going. And you've got people questioning, well, what do you do with a guy like Anthony Davis, who's got 55 games at the moment? Kevin Durant has 47 games, as I touched on. Kawhi Leonard has 50. LeBron James has 54 and so on. Um, You know, these are guys that are playing a a smaller amount of games. Devin Booker, 53 right now. So I think that these are all things you've got to take into account. And I think for some, they're hoping that this will help with players trying to load manage and, and reduce any load management there um, in some form, uh, but it's going to have a big impact on the awards. No question. So I've got my opinion on this and I've also got a, uh, a solution. You know, I, I can't say it's a really good solution at all, but uh, a counter to what you are talking about, like, well, yeah, what do you do about, uh, how do you go about this when so many players of the best players are missing that many games? Like, so personally not a fan of this. And I just, I do feel like we're just going to see some, we're going to get some years where we get some very uh, strange looking all NBA teams because uh, I, I can't, I don't feel like just off on the surface that this is going to make players play more games because I mean, I'm looking around the league and yeah, like every team does do some type of rest load management to some degree, but like, who are the big offenders? Like, you know, we know the Clippers, they're basically, they, they do it pretty, they've been doing it pretty hard the past few years. And then this year, I would say the Warriors where they've, they're having some games, especially on the road where they're just benching. Uh, the entire lineup from back to back, like that's a whole nother issue uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the quality of the talent uh, on a nightly basis. Uh, but I, I just don't like a lot of the, if you look at the players, the top players that have been missing so many games, like they were injured. Like Devin Booker had a very big injury. Stephen Curry had a huge injury. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, like these guys suffered some huge injuries. Uh, so that it's like you what do you i just don't this isn't uh i understand the 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 theory behind this to stop load management but like that's not why so many players have been missing so many games like they just the 
bas- you know, basketball is getting more intense and uh, the seasons it's, it's long. And uh, you know, I, I'm not going to get into, you know, what shortening the season, the argument for that or anything, but uh, you know, the players are getting some significant injuries and it's going to be tough for, to get a player to play, you know, 72 games plus in a year going forward. So um, my personally, like, I my all NBA team the when I put it together I just when you've got so many of the best players missing so many games already I kind of feel like you know when you're in high school and the whole class got averaged like a C minus on the test you now the teacher has to curve it and now everyone gets a B that's kind of how I view <laughs> view it if you got all the best players averaging like 55 games a year you know what, then maybe we should lower this, this instead of doing a hard 65 games, what if we kind of did, what is the average games played among all-stars for that season? I don't know, just something that kind of makes sense for that specific season. Uh, so when, now that the season's over and I'm taking a clear look at everything and a lot of the best players, like the best performances that played like 50, around 50 something games a year, I'm, I I just feel like in the end, yeah, I do want to include Steph Curry and LeBron and AD and Kawhi, a combination of those guys in my all-NBA teams. Um, otherwise, eventually it's just going to become, in some years, who played the most games. And that's, kind of, that's what I'm afraid of. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm pretty confident people at the league office and the union are going to listen to this podcast, let alone see the transcript on hoopshype.com. So your voice will be heard, brother. I'm curious to see if they, they take it into account. I don't think it's a bad suggestion, actually. Um, I think this is a, something that, you know, should be an open dialogue a little bit. Um, it's definitely going to, I think, have some effect on future awards looking ahead for the reasons you touched on. But kind of wrap it up here with one thing it seems like from people I talk to, whether it's agents, executives, or even coaches that's viewed as a unanimous win for all parties involved is the third two-way roster spot. Um, I was told that concept was kind of kicked around a little bit during COVID, uh, given how players were dropping like flies because uh, they were testing positive at the time. Um, one executive told me it helps teams who don't have a second round pick be creative in improving their roster on the back end with young guys. Um, one other another GM told me that he thinks the third two-way spot is great because some players will get more of a chance uh, that way than guaranteeing a roster spot. Better they make a portion of an NBA minimum salary than than nothing at all was his take. Um, so we'll see. I'm curious what the, the limit is going to be on that uh, or whether it's a younger guy, how many years of service they have. But to me, that just seemed like a win for everybody. Yeah, I'm pretty neutral about it. I get why it's great for both sides. Uh, you know, extra job for the players, extra uh, low cost opportunity for the teams. I get it, and especially in uh, when it comes to getting trying to field a roster in case you get a a lot of injury, it just gives you another potential guy. Uh, it, gives you, it gives you a little more insurance uh, as a cap guy. Just a little annoying. Another sell on my spreadsheet. I got to manage, but otherwise, I'm, I have no, I have no problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And yeah, for folks who don't know, um, you, you can look at Yossi's Twitter header and he has a breakdown of all the teams and their spending power, their roster construction, everything. Um, I highly recommend it. I will say in a pinch, uh, when stuff is happening on the fly, I will check it out as well. I definitely recommend it as a resource for everybody. And Yossi in general, I appreciate you joining me, coming on, brother, breaking down this new CBA with me and, and what it could mean for the league and, and some of the new intel you provided uh, on that second tax apron. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate you having me on, Mike. Always my guy. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops Hype podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Yossi too. He's at Yossi Goslin. That's Y-O-S-S-I-G-O-Z-L-A-N. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.